Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I am going to be talking about the All-Star Game voting finally becoming open to the public. Us fans can vote and I'm going to talk about where SGA kind of lies in the All-Star conversation and then I'm going to be giving you all a game preview for the Thunder Brooklyn Nets game. So the NBA finally opened up all-star voting to fans. Uh, they do this every single year, obviously. And this one, it's it's a bit different because we don't even know if there's going to be an all-star game. I think there have been like discussions behind closed doors on whether or not they want to make something work. But when the year started out, I mean, the all-star game was canceled and it still remains that way. As things stand, it's just going to be like a list of people like congrats or whatever. But you never know, maybe a game could happen. The title still is going to mean the same thing, though. The game is just all for fun. It's a real accolade. And even though we're like only, what is it now, like 17 games into the season, that's still a decent body of work. I think you can kind of tell what kind of path all these players are going to be taking. So I do think voting does mean something even this early on in the regular season. So they opened it up on Thursday, and fans will be able to, throughout the uh, upcoming weeks, be able to vote on who they think should be selected. And uh, the voting will end on February the 16th, by the way. So you can vote through NBA.com. You can also vote through the NBA app, and then you can also vote through Twitter. So on NBA.com, you just go to vote.nba. Com, you'll get prompted to like this little page where you'll have 10 like plus signs all over the screen. Five of those pluses are for the Western, five are for the Eastern. You're just selecting starters, two guards, and then three players in the front court. You can pick whoever you want there. You get one entry a day. And then through the NBA app, it's really the exact same screen. You can vote on 10 people, five West, five East two guards, and three front court members. And then on Twitter, they actually just introduced this one. They didn't used to have this. Like last year, the way that I voted every single day was through Google. I mean, you just typed in like NBA All-Star or NBA Vote, whatever it was. You got on a page, pretty easy. They took that one out and replaced it with a Twitter option. Personally, I don't know how I feel about it. I think it's... uh. A lot more hoops to go through like you just tap a couple buttons on uh on google and you're you're done i mean i don't know maybe i'm just being a bit annoying because it doesn't take that long anyways you can vote on twitter and the restrictions on who you can vote for like conference and position wise is just stripped off you can vote 10 times on your twitter account daily And all you have to do to cast your ballot for a certain player is give a hashtag of the player's first and last name and then follow that up with hashtag NBA All-Star. And what you also could do, instead of doing like the hashtag Shea Gilgis Alexander, hashtag Hamadou Diallo, I don't know why I picked Diallo, you could just put their personal Twitter handle in your tweet alongside hashtag NBA All-Star. And that vote will still be counted all the same. So you get a little bit more um, options when you do it through Twitter because the restrictions on positions and conference thrown out the window. You can vote on whoever you feel like 
regardless of everything. So Twitter may be the option to go with this. You can use all three methods daily though. And I feel like people probably got their burner Twitter accounts. There's people who are probably taking this seriously voting on like five different different accounts every day. And they're probably spamming even more of these things. We might have bots. We might have bots determining the all-star starters. Just think about that for a second. That, it's kind of crazy. That, that could be possible though. Um, but if you guys want to represent the Thunder, you just got to follow those steps. Go on NBA.com, go on the app, and go through Twitter. Or, you know, you can just spread the word on social media. The Thunder are going to be posting really just highlight reels from all of our guys, especially from now up until the 16th. They're trying to build up hype and collect ballots for some of our guys. The people that they've already headlined and like pushed for have been Shea Gilgis Alexander. No surprise there. But also Al Horford. He got a little picture, like send him to uh, the All-Star Game retweet to cast your vote. I don't know if the retweet thing actually counts as a vote. Maybe it does. I know for like you or me, if we say retweet for more votes, obviously that's not going to work. But that's the real social media page. So things may work a little bit differently there. I, I'm not too sure about it yet. So yeah, just make sure to retweet. Put on your feeds, whatever it is. If you guys really want to see some of these Thunder guys, uh, go over there. Maybe you can get some more people onto the bandwagon. See if some some of our Thunder players can get the all-star nod. But I think the person that we really just need to be looking out for here. It's Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Like, I think it's cool that they put Al Horford on the list here because he's averaging he's averaging solid numbers. 12.1 points, 2.4 assists, and 7.5 rebounds. I just don't think that's enough. The Western Conference is so decked out with people from the 3 through 5 positions. I mean, you got Kawhi, you got Paul George, you got AD. I don't know if Chris Dobbs would qualify, but... I don't know. He's he's got the name recognition. You got LaMarcus Aldridge. You've got Christian Wood who's come out of nowhere. You got Jokic. I don't know how the hell I forgot about Jokic. Aiton. There's just people all over the place. So I think really Al Horford's not going to be in there. Same goes with the rest of our guys. I think it's fun to just vote on whoever like back whenever Deontay Burton and Kyle Singler played for the Thunder. I used to just vote for them every single time for whatever reason. I thought it was funny. Uh, I don't even know if they give like full results of every single player, but I was like, oh, I'm gonna see, you know, what their final, what their final tally is. I'm not sure if I've ever seen it from those past years, but hey, if you guys just want to be funny with it, you guys can cast your votes for whatever Thunder player you want. I might be sending mine in for Alexei Pokachevsky myself, but we'll see how things shape out. But just going to the man himself, Shea Gilgis Alexander. He has a real resume here to be an all-star. And he, in like a normal year, he deserves to be an all-star. But there's so many great guards in the Western Conference. Competition is going to be very, very tight for Shea Gilgis-Alexander to get the call up to be an all-star in just his third season. I mean, look. He's averaging 21.8 points, 5.5 rebounds, and 6.5 assists so far through the year. And those are great numbers. I saw uh, through Reddit, I believe, but someone like, it was like a tweet screenshotted. It said there were only like four players in the entire league 
averaging 21 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists. It was like him, Doncic, LeBron James, and uh, I think Nikola Jokic or something. Uh, that's awesome. It was a bit like cherry-picked, and someone called it, called it out. I don't really think it matters. I think the whole message of that was like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is really good, and he's in company with some very good players already. If you just broke that down to people averaging 25 and 5, the list becomes very huge there. But I don't really think it matters. I think it just matters that he is in the upper echelon of players in the NBA right now, just based off of the stats and even more than the stats. Just look at him play for a game and tell me he doesn't look like an all-star. You just can't do it. The only hitch in this road here for SGA, though, is number one, we are in a small market. Like, you know, we've seen players, I think JaVale McGee one year was like getting a ton of all-star votes. And I don't, I don't remember like what exactly the NBA did, but they did something funky to where he actually didn't get a nod or anything. And there's always just kind of been those weird one-off cases where some surprising players just get skyrocketed into the rankings. I think Taco Fall might've been in it last year i might have been a part of that too i feel like i probably would have been doing random stuff like that but yeah i mean there's always just those random campaigns who come out of the large markets just everyone surrounds them you could see alex caruso flying up the charts here to be quite honest with you but i mean they're not going to surpass the top tier level of competition and sga sga is one of those guys i think he's a top 10 guard in the west no doubt, I think no matter who you're talking to, even the most anti-SGA, you know, NBA fan would have to agree he's top 10 as a guard in the West at the moment. But there's a lot of very, very good guards in the West. I mean, Doncic, he's really looking like he could be a player in the MVP race. He's averaging 27.4, 9.7 assists, and 9 0.4 rebounds, so he's averaging damn near a triple-double at 21 years old. He's a lock. He's going to be a starter. You got Steph Curry averaging 27.7 points, 6 assists, and 5.4 rebounds. He's going to be a lock for the game. And then it's kind of like a toss-up here. You got Damian Lillard, who I do think will crack it. I mean, he's averaging 28.8, 7.1 assists, and 4.8 rebounds. That's very good. CJ McCollum is a bit weird because he was playing definitely like an all-star. He was carrying the Trailblazers. Like, he was leading the team and scoring, doing all of this and that. He was the number one um, shooting guard in fantasy uh, for a brief moment before he got hurt. I had him on my team, and then he just gets wiped out for a couple weeks. Like, are you kidding me, man? But, yeah, I mean, he was averaging close to 27 points, 5 assists, and 3.9 rebounds, so he's going off too. And then if you go farther down the list, DeMar DeRozan's averaging 20 points, almost 7 assists, and 5 rebounds. Very, very good numbers from everybody here. And you still got to throw in the likes of John Morant, Donovan Mitchell, and, you know, even players like De'Aaron Fox to an extent, Victor Oladipo, D'Angelo Russell, Chris Paul. Just guys like that. There's a lot of very, very high-quality people here. And when you're only going for the top four or five, I think SGA is going to be right there in the 
like the huge mix of it. it it really just comes down to what the nba players say and what the media vote on for who they believe should be those like three four and five spots in the west sga very well could be an all-star and he's going to continue to be dropping huge numbers so the stat line is going to remain there i think he deserves a shot at it i think the fans i mean all of us okc fans are going to be battling for him to get a spot he just needs to get you know people outside of the uh the thunder fan base really hyped about him and he's done everything he's needed to there just needs to be a bit of a spark lit around the nba community once that happens i think sga is going to be recognized and he could be an all-star for the season and the next thing that i wanted to go into in today's podcast is the thunder brooklyn nets game tonight so you guys can catch this one at 7 p.m central time on fox sports oklahoma in terms of injuries it's really nothing big for either side the thunder they have their usual three people out they have josh hall ty jerome and trevor reza not playing and for the brooklyn nets they don't have any huge pieces gone they have norvell peel who they signed like one or two weeks ago to fill up one of their empty uh, roster spots. Nicholas Claxton's not playing. He didn't play against us in our first matchup. And then Spencer Dinwiddie, he's out for the entire year. He didn't play us either. So they really are not, you know, that, uh, um, they're really not that injury struck in terms of some of the other people that we faced in the past. And, You know, we are playing like a completely different Brooklyn Nets team. In our first matchup against these guys, they had Karis LeVert. They had Jared Allen. They didn't have Kyrie Irving playing for them. And they sure as hell didn't have James Harden playing for them. He wasn't even on the team yet. So we were going against just a completely different style of basketball team right there. I mean, they had some real presence down low with Jared Allen he's wiped out now you got DeAndre Jordan and pretty much nobody filling that backup center role so huge difference in dynamics right now I think uh whenever we were going into the game versus Brooklyn he uh Karis LeVert was going off like one of his like season high games and points I think he cracked 40 and he had 21 points in the game against us back 19 days ago jared allen had 15 points and then i can't forget about terry on prince because he's with cleveland now he played in this game and he did solid he had 11 points on five of seven shooting so they have three players just not with them anymore and they got james harden to show for it though which is not a very bad uh compensation prize i don't even think you would want to call that um a compensation prize but yeah i mean he's with them kyrie irving's not sitting out anymore so we are playing the real deal brooklyn nets in tonight's matchup and they are five and two since acquiring james harden they were seven and six before the deal so they've obviously gotten things figured out here the only two games that they lost were the ones against the Cleveland Cavaliers where Colin Sexton just killed them. Colin Sexton looked like he was in freaking hoop diamonds again. Nobody could guard him, and they end up winning one in overtime. I think the second game, the Brooklyn Nets just got crushed. But yeah, those are the only two they lost. The other five victories they had, pretty solid wins, and all of them were 
kind of by a sizable amount. I think they had a couple blowouts kind of sprinkled in to those five W's. And the way that they've been winning their games have just been on the offensive side of the ball. The defense is not their priority. That's clear uh, from the get-go when you check out their roster. As I mentioned, they don't really have that real center core. I mean, you got a DeAndre Jordan who's pretty up there in age and nobody to back him up. So they're just looking at their big three four points, and they've done that because they have averaged 125 points in these seven games that the three have been united on the roster together. But they're playing a really risky game because they're allowing their opponents to get 117 points up on them. And the way that teams are getting points on them is just strictly down low for the most part. Just going through the last seven games for them, the big guys have been dropping well over 20 points a game on average. So Julius Randle had 30 points against the Brooklyn Nets. Nikola Vucevic had 34 points against them. And whenever they faced Andre Drummond and Jared Allen on the Cleveland Cavaliers, they were getting killed. Now, Andre Drummond isn't like the physical kind of taking 20 shots a game player like Julius Randle and Vucevic are, but he was still dropping 15 points on average, and then Jared Allen off the bench was doing the exact same thing. So there was pretty much 30 points just coming off the centers right there. A real one-two punch with Jared Allen and Andre Drummond. And then they play against the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm not going to you know take this one too hard on him, but Giannis had 34 points. Just MVP numbers once again from the Greek Freak. And then against the Miami Heat, Bam Adebayo had 26 points in one of those games and then 41 points in the other. So there is a clear problem when it comes to stopping scoring from down low. And that's exactly what we need to be attacking in tonight's ballgame. Al Horford just came off a 21-point performance against the Phoenix Suns, and it's completely different because the way Al Horford has been getting his buckets, it's been completely different than the traditional center. Like, all the guys that I listed, maybe, maybe Julius Randle and maybe Bam Adebayo would be shooting from three, but they're not stretch fives. Like, these are people who are trying to attack down low. Pretty much all of them are crazy good athletically, Al Horford's not like that. He's 34 years old, kind of just likes to spot up and shoot away from downtown. I don't really think he's going to be charging right into DeAndre Jordan and picking up and one fouls. You know what I'm saying? So the dynamic may be a little bit weird. I don't know if DeAndre Jordan will be able to combat Horford well. Uh, I know this. If Al Horford stays sharp from three-point land, it's going to be a problem for DeAndre Jordan. It's not going to be about inside. It's going to be outside because DeAndre Ayton made the fatal mistake on Wednesday of just sagging off Horford the entire game. That's disrespectful. And Al Horford made sure to show DeAndre Ayton that. Five for five on threes. He has the hot hand going into the Chesapeake Energy Arena. And... DeAndre Jordan would be pretty silly to make this mistake. And on one end, I understand why maybe on the onset you'd want to sag off on Horford. You want to test him because if he can't get the three, it helps a lot because then, you know, there's no 
like the pick and roll kind of gets shut down because you can essentially double team SGA and there's not a huge penalty. When Horford's feeling it, you do need to step up and that leaves SGA free buckets inside. So risking it early could be cool for DeAndre Jordan, but if it's a problem, it's going to be a pretty bad sight to see for the Nets. They pretty much would have to swap DeAndre Jordan out for Jeff Green, who has been a quality bench player for them offensively like he is a pick and pop god I don't really know if he'd be able to hang with Horford inside that'd be a uh, cool test to see but yeah I don't even know if DeAndre Jordan would be able to play a good amount of minutes if Al Horford can find buckets because I don't really see DeAndre Jordan like going off for 20 points on Horford I think offensively he's not going to be a source of offense. He's kind of just going to be like setting screens around, lingering near the paint, but not a lot of action for Jordan. Horford has a much bigger role on the offensive end, so really DeAndre Jordan's job is to be collecting rebounds, setting screens, and trying to shut down Al Horford any way he can. Jordan's had clear problems stopping some of the best of the best bigs in the league so far. I don't know where exactly to spot Al Horford among this group of people that the Nets have played since they got Harden and Kyrie back, but you know I could totally see Al Horford just going off and being that uh, secret attack weapon that we will need to kind of become victorious over the three-headed monster that is the Brooklyn Nets. And the Brooklyn Nets, they're all focused on their three guys. Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. Force-feeding the ball to all of them. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not really looking at Brooklyn Nets tape all the time. So I can't tell you if like Kyrie Irving's kicking around. If it's like the Golden State Warriors Splash Bros days. Where it's all about the extra pass. This may just be a straight-up ISO 5-out team. I think that's something they could do. Because Kyrie can ISO. James Harden can ISO. And Kevin Durant sure as hell can ISO. He dropped like 30 some odd points against us in the first matchup. Yeah, he scored 36 points in the first game. I know James Harden's dropped at least 34 in one of those contests with the Nets thus far. And Kyrie Irving definitely followed suit with a 30 piece of his own. So they can all chip in. Likely, all of them are dropping 25 plus in this game. And it sucks because we can't really divert all of our attention into one player like Durant or Harden if they get hot because you still got to worry about the other two like Irving Harden they can shoot the lights out if left open or guarded you know I think all three of them can do that so one of them may just get into the zone and we can kind of just find ourselves out of the game um, pretty quickly but we can come back obviously whenever we're down 17 we find a will and a way to get in arm's reach by the end of it so you know we'll see what happens there but I mean seriously they can go on huge runs through one player and they have three different guys who can do it so they have a special roster offensively kind of devised together by Steve Nash and the rest of the Brooklyn Nets organization and it means we got to be bringing a heavy load of defense and I think Lou Dort you know, he did a solid job in the first matchup against the Brooklyn Nets. It was a bit weird, though, because, like, 
you know, he's not guarding James Harden in that first game. It's like Karis LeVert and sometimes helping out on Kevin Durant. So totally different. I think the question is, where do we put Dort in this game? I think you kind of take Kyrie Irving out of the picture early. I think SGA should have Kyrie. That will be a fun matchup for, uh, for the both of those two. But where do you put him between James Harden and Kevin Durant? Because Kevin Durant was killing us in the first game. He was shooting right over the top of Darius Baisley, getting to wherever he wanted on the court and just attacking us. And with James Harden, you know, we kind of have a, a bit of some uh, some ties to uh, number 13. So, I mean, we saw him in the playoffs. Lou Dort kind of just got coined the Harden stopper. Is he going to be the Harden stopper in tonight's game? Or is he going to be focused on Kevin Durant? I'm going to go with the bet that he's taking on James Harden. And the reason that I'm saying this is Mark Dagnall. You know, after the Brooklyn Nets game in the post game from um, January 10th, he mentioned that like it was a good thing that Darius Baisley was kind of just getting thrown into some tough matchups. Because if I remember this correctly, I think he just came off playing Julius Randle in the, the Knicks and Randle was kind of going to town there. So he was getting thrown on, you know, some very, very quality forwards and he was taking a toll um, but Dagnault still wanted him to kind of grow off those experiences. This is going to be another game for Baisley to just prove himself. I bet Baisley, you know, kind of has been thinking about this game as sort of a redemption shot because Kevin Durant was pretty controlling in the first game. If Baisley's able to stop Kevin Durant, oh man, this will be a good one because with James Harden and Dort going toe-to-toe, I, I don't know, man. It's kind of a toss-up. James Harden had his moments in the playoff series, but I think Dort clearly overpowered the man. James Harden and Dort have some bad blood. I think James Harden's going to uh, try to get a couple couple buckets on Lugans Dort. I don't think Dort's going to be too happy with that, though. So that's going to be a straight-up battle. There's going to be a lot of the game just decided off of Harden versus Lou Dort. And uh, just wherever Dort is, I feel like, you know, Dort's going to be in the mix of a lot of things. But if Harden's getting shut down by Dort, you know, obviously they're just going to give the ball to Kevin Durant and make him work on Baisley. And if he's not working, you let Kyrie ISO. And if you're trying to help out on Kyrie, he's passing the ball out. So they have a variety of options on offense. If they want to run five out, you just sub Jeff Green in for DeAndre Jordan. Your perimeter shooting is just completely fixed. They're never going to have an issue with shooting the basketball. So it's going to be a real defensive test for our squad and really on offense too because it's going to be a high-scoring game and we're going to be needing to cash in on pretty much all of our possessions if we want to stay alive versus this superstar-studded team. I think when you're looking at the number one option here, you could say like Al Horford could potentially be our guy again, but I don't even know if I'd consider him the number one option versus the Suns. Maybe in the first three quarters, but in the fourth, it was all about Shea Gilgis Alexander. And I think Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to be running the show all night long. He wants to go against Kyrie Irving. 
I think that Al Horford may be a, a little bit uh, inconsistent here. I don't think you can put the ball in his hands and he can get shots up like SGA can. SGA is a cold, hard shot creator at this point. We've seen the crazy step backs he's had from three. He does it at the mid-range. He shrugs off defenders to create the room. And then inside, I mean, he's the second... Um, leader in drives on the year. Like, he's only .6 or something away from Luka Doncic, who's in first place. So he's driving in all the time. He's trying to create the shots, and he passes out a hell of a lot of the time. And George Hill's going to be your shooting guard for the game, uh, starting-wise, unless Maladone surprisingly gets the starting gig for the third game in a row. But George Hill can shoot. Maladone has looked great with SGA. They had a little bit of a connection against the Suns. So I think the one and two, SGA and Hill or Maladone, will be cooking it up. Muscala and Horford, they're a bit of a question mark. If they can get it going, we should be pretty solid. But how about Baisley? You know, he had that uh, 19-point game a couple games ago. Kind of toned it back down. We need him to be cooking up, and he's going to be up against one of the best of the best in Kevin Durant. And same goes with Lou Dort. Like, I don't really know how to assess James Harden's defensive skills, but I can tell you this. Lou Dort is going to be shooting just like he did in Game 7. If you leave the man open, he's shooting 7 of 14 at least from the three-point arc. Probably better. So Dort's going to have attention all over him from distance. If not, he'll make you pay. And if you go too tight on him, he can drive in on you. So there's a lot more options than you'd think. I think they have a clear hole at the five, and that may lead to problems for really just everyone on the defensive side for Brooklyn. So there's going to be a lot of fireworks in OKC tonight. This is going to be one that you want to make sure to watch, not just because you get to see Kevin Durant going against the Thunder again, not just because you get to see James Harden going against Lugans Dort again, but because this is one of our biggest tests of the season, and we've been looking pretty good in this past week, I'd say our last two ones particularly. We've been playing some solid teams and getting solid results. If we can cap off our little you know, winning streak right now against the Brooklyn Nets. Not only do we get up to 500, but the league will be looking at the Oklahoma City Thunder. Seriously, we got a lot of pieces. I think, you know, even looking down the bench, you got players like Diallo. He went for 25 against the Nets in the first one. He could go off. Way too many options to be counting right now. I think everybody's trying to size it down to just Shea Gilgis Alexander on the squad. I mean, he's a hell of a player. But we got a lot of options, man. And I think we would, we're would we going to be able to prove that against the Brooklyn Nets tonight. So make sure to stay tuned to the game. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap things up for me here. I hope you all enjoyed listening, and I will talk to you all tomorrow. See ya.